From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Southern women, unlike women from Boston or Des Moines or Albuquerque, are leashed to history. So wrote editor Allison Glock in a 2011 essay for Garden and Gun. The piece, called Redefining the Southern Belle, got more responses than anything she'd written in her nearly 30-year career. Much was positive, some not, but all opening up further exploration of what Southern woman meant then and now. The discussions that followed led to a new book of portraits and interviews with artists, innovators, and entertainers, from Reese Witherspoon to Oprah, from Dolly Parton to Beyonce, along with a number of names you may not know yet, and odes to women who made the South the South. Amanda Heckard is deputy editor at Garden and Gun, and with us to talk about the new book, Southern Women, More Than 100 Stories of Innovators, Artists, and Icons from the Editors of Garden and Gun. Amanda, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. We've also got two of the featured with us. Atlanta-based designer and activist Unika Rogers-Sipp is with us in the studio. Hello there. Hello. And also with us, Dr. Valerie Montgomery-Rice. She's joining us by phone. She is president and dean of Morehouse School of Medicine. Dr. Montgomery-Rice, hello. Hello. How are you all? Very well. I'm, I'm not going to answer for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So with the debut of this book, Southern Women, Holler Beach Productions created a special little film celebrating iconic Southern women. And here's just a little clip of what a few of the artists had to say. Southern women are resilient. Southern women are strong. Southern women are strong. 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 Resilient. Strong. 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 We are the the dainty little um, Southern bells from years past. Southern women are charming, of course. They're strong. Did I say strong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, multiple responses as strong. And, and women are measurably more resilient in the face of adversity than men, I'll say, according to a 2018 study by Science Daily. So, Amanda, what did you see? Strength, that came up over and over again in this film. Did this change that image of the Southern Belle that Alison Glock was trying to struggle with in the first place? I think that this whole book was um, an opportunity for us to sort of dispel, I think for, you know, for a long time anyway, that larger consciousness um, thought of Southern women being synonymous with that sort of moonlight and magnolias myth. Um, I think people in the South knew that wasn't, you know, uh, didn't get close to describing the um, the women who, who live here. And, you know, I think that um, all of these stories do that. I, certainly, that's why I wanted to include both Unika and um, Dr. Montgomery Rice in this book, because their stories um, inspired me. I think that, you know, we're talking about being open to listening to other people's life experiences. And I really hope that that's what this book does is is inspires, um, inspires people, makes them think uh, differently about how women have experienced the South. And, um, you know, I think that it's been really interesting to, you know, also a thread through the book. We asked a lot of the women, you know, what does being a Southern woman mean to you? And the range of, of answers and how, you know, the almost surprising thing was, was how even people who sort of struggled with their relationship to the South still wanted to use that word to define themselves, but we're thinking about how can we redefine exactly what it means to be a Southern woman. Um, I think about there was a 
uh, musician um, in Austin that we interviewed, Gina Chavez, and she talked about how, you know, the the South is so open in a lot of ways. There's open land, there's open skies, open roads. You know, why can't it also mean open-minded? And she mm-hmm. talked about how she, you know, sort of um, has gone through her own process of moving past those stereotypes of Southern women to really, you know, wanting to reclaim the word Southern. Well, that's what one thing that comes very clear to me. There's no monolithic Southern woman. There are so many different Southern women. And the, two of the guests that we have here with us today, both featured in the Innovators and Iconoclasts section. So first, I want to ask both of you, what comes to mind when you think Southern woman? Dr. Montgomery Rice? So when I think about a Southern woman, I have this uh, mosaic of my mother and my grandmother and my aunts. And I see them around the kitchen table and laughing, or I see them in the kitchen, and I see them lock arms, and they're walking. And it's almost uh, girlish in nature. How about for you, Unica? Wow. So I also see, when I think of Southern women, I think of, you know, grandmothers and mothers and aunties. And for me, the first thing that comes to mind is sort of this juxtaposition. I wrote about it and talked about it in a book between my grandmother and her traditional values, right, and her love for home, the South, like growing up in, you know, rural North Carolina is where I'm from, um, Castle County outside of Greensboro, um, but her love of that place and um, everything that came with it, like you know, learning how to make things from scratch like biscuits and the pride in that. And then I also think about my mother who um, was of the generation that that sort of rebelled against against that and wanted to to leave. Um, and, 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 and she told me the other night, it's like I could have been born anywhere and I would have would have left home. But mm-hmm. <laughs> she was that she was that spirit of, you know, wanting to sort of experience something outside of what that small town could offer her. Um, and was very sort of um, spirited in in discovery and exploration. Um, and so when I think about uh, Southern women, I think about the complexity that, that exists between those types of realities and a love for home. Um, and then I also think about generationally the relationship between women and where I fit in between those two, that I'm sort of a bridge. Uh-huh. Um, uh, for still all of us, we, we have this love for home. So my mother, even though she would leave and she traveled the world, um, she never gave up home yeah. and her love for it. You say she had a lot of fire that she kind did. of pushed her and eccentric. And Amanda, I'm wondering about that. You know, there is a kind of love of eccentric women in the <laughs> South. <laughs> what do you think is behind that? You know, we're we're not wallflowers, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that that's something that came across um in a lot of these interviews is that um, Southern women, you know, know, know how to comport themselves, but they also know how to to break the rules. You know, I think about my own, um, you know, this this theme of mothers and grandmothers came up time and time again. And I think it is because, you know, the, there's definitely a strong family connections in the South. That sense of place that both of the, these women have have spoken about is, is so strongly rooted. And I think about, you know, that sense of place. I'm from the upstate of South Carolina and, um, you know, my my family has been there for generations, farmers, textile mill workers. And I think about my grandmother who, you know, rolled tires in a 
a, a tire factory, but she always, you know, went home at night and, and touched up her hot pink fingernails. And, <laughs> and um, you know, then it wasn't vanity, but it was uh, self-respect. And, and um, you know, it was an inter- interesting theme that sort of carried uh, throughout the book. Amanda Heckert there, editor of a new book from Garden and Gun, Southern Women, More Than 100 Stories of Innovators, Artists, and Icons. And two of the women featured are with us, Atlanta-based designer and activist Unika Rogers-Sipp, along with Dr. Valerie Montgomery-Rice. She is the dean and president of Morehouse School of Medicine. And we'd love to hear from you as you listen. What Southern women have influenced you, famous or obscure? Let us know in our Facebook group, GPB Radio's On Second Thought. In the front of the book... We have Ashley Jones quoting from Lucille Clifton's I Cannot Talk About the South Without Talking About Black Women. Dr. Rice, you observed that you were often the only black person or only woman in your career or even as you were growing up. So how did you begin to discern your identity? Do you see yourself first as a Southerner or African-American or woman? You know, I'm often asked that question, and um, I clearly see myself first as a woman, I mean, um, and then I guess I am a black woman, uh, and then I would say I'm a southerner. But I'm actually all of those all at the same time, and one um, doesn't necessarily outweigh the others, but all of them are used as a part of my identity. When I think about the times that, and there have been multiple times that I've been the only one at the table, or in the room, or on the board, or on the um, faculty, etc. I embrace that because I actually have always felt that I belong there. And luckily, my mother's strength uh, permeated through giving me confidence that my voice needed to be heard. Now, some people would say sometimes it was probably heard too much (laughs) or too loud, um, but I did really feel and continue to feel that I have a perspective that adds to the richness of any solution. And I think when people talk about diversity, that's one thing. That's having a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds, but really the uh, significance of diversity is only realized when you embrace inclusion. And inclusion is only optimized when we actually humble ourselves to listen to others and to assume the best until proven otherwise. And I clearly learned that from my mother. And I think that is a Southern way that uh, has allowed me to be welcomed at tables that uh, others might be uncomfortable at. Uh, Unica, I know in your work, you know, working on the South Black Belt region and, and founding the Destination Design School, tell us a little bit about that connection. You know, she talked about diversity and inclusion, some very big ideas that opened up there. Tell me what you were thinking when you were hearing that. Oh, there's so many things that came to mind. I mean, I think um, first off is that I agree with her about the fact that we really need um, more perspectives uh, and we need women's perspectives at the table. I don't think it's something that's limited to the South. It's, it's, it's the world. 
Um, I think we've been making some great strides uh, recently, you know, the past year in terms of um, having um, a large amount of women running for office um, and women sworn into Congress, but we, we still have a long way to go. And I think, you know, for me, what I've uh, understood about, you know, my specific journey and the way that women show up in the Black Belt South and, 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 and the Deep South um, and around leadership um, is that there's this sort of misconception that, particularly Southern women, but but women in general are are not equipped or don't have the competency to to lead in in particular industries. And so, for a prime example of that was in 2010 when we, when we were working in um, around the Wilcox County in Selma, Alabama, and we were working with farmers, and it was um, really clear that that we had an opportunity to sort of delve into renewable energy and provide a solution to farmers, women farmers particularly, um, who who were taking leadership roles to understand how they could uh, more effectively manage their their natural resources, i.e. their farms, um, and develop uh, renewable energy systems like solar irrigation. And in 2010, that was um, unheard of, you know, and they we would hear things from the leadership of the states. They like, you know, it'll never work. And quite clearly it was working because <laughs> we designed the system. We installed the system and we ran the system. Um, and it, people were saying it never could be done. And they certainly didn't expect an African-American woman um, who wasn't an engineer to be able to engineer a system. That is Georgia-based designer and activist Unika Rogers-Sipp. Also with me, President and Dean of Morehouse College of Medicine, Dr. Valerie Montgomery-Rice. They are among those featured in a new book called Southern Women, More Than 100 Stories of Innovators, Artists, and Icons. I'm also joined by the book's editor, Amanda Heckard, from Garden and Gun. We're going to continue our conversation with these trailblazers after a short break. And in the meantime, listen to Freedom by Ranky Tank. The band's lead singer, Kiana Parler, is also featured in the book. We're back with On Second Thought from GBB. I'm Virginia Prescott. You're listening to the Southern Lady and global music icon Beyonce. Run the World, the girl power anthem from her fourth studio album. Well, today we're celebrating Southern women following the release of Garden and Gun's new book, Southern Women, more than 100 stories of innovators, artists, and icons. Deputy editor Amanda Heckert is with us, along with a couple of women featured in the book, the Georgia-based designer and activist Unika Rogers-Sipp, and president and dean of Morehouse College of Medicine, Dr. Valerie Montgomery-Rice. Well, Dr. Montgomery Rice, I wanted to pick up on something that you wrote about. You grew up in Macon, and the interview with you in the book, you recall working with your seventh grade teacher on your valedictorian speech. She made you repeat the word humble over and over again. You're a valedictorian. You're, you're an, you became an engineering student at Georgia Tech, first black woman to be the president of a freestanding medical school. Where does humility fit into a career like this, defined by excellence? Uh, you know, that's part of this Southern nature. Um, Mrs. Betty Davis, my seventh grade teacher, so the highlight at Matilda Hartley was if you were selected to be the uh, valedictorian, and I fortunately was selected. And Mrs. Betty Davis would be the one to really write the speech. 
And there were two things that she did. First of all, you had to meet with her for a month after school every day. <laughs> she met it. Wow. <laughs> and she had a ruler in her hand, right? Okay, she had a ruler in her hand, and you had to memorize the speech. So she taught me the serenity prayer and then this word humble. And she said, when you say it, you need to say it like you mean it because you never know in life when you're going to need some humility. Mm. Now, as a seventh grader, I had no idea what she was talking about. (laughs) But I definitely came to learn this as I sat at so many tables Mm -hmm. and understood that she wasn't telling me to be a shrinking flower. But what she was telling me is to be receptive to the differences that people bring to the table Mm. and to humble yourself before them so that you could be open enough to receive what they are offering. Mm. And that's part of the grace that I think I saw in my mother and my grandmother and my aunts who are Southern women. Dr. Valerie Montgomery-Rice, I know we have to let you go. Thank you so much for speaking with us. I have uh, really enjoyed this time, and congratulations to my other colleagues who are there with me. Thank, Thank you, Dr. Rice. Thank you. Well, to go back to that, uh, what Allison wrote, leash to history, for better or worse, forever entangled in and infused by a miasma of mercy and cruelty, order and chaos, corn pone and corn ball, a potent mix that leaves us wise, morbid, good humored, God fearing, outspoken and immutable. Just saying so much there. But I'm thinking, Amanda, for you, Unica just talked about making great strides on one hand, and you have people like Reese Witherspoon, who saw that there were no more roles for women, so she started her own production company. You know, uh, Oprah, obviously a world unto her own uh, in terms of power of, of making change. Is that something that came up for you in all the interviews that you did, women struggling with how to handle those paradoxes? You know, I, I, f- I don't know if struggling is quite right rather, rather than maybe determined to. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, going back to Dr. Montgomery Rice, that was, I think she has a really inspiring story and has been so groundbreaking and, and barrier shattering in a lot of ways. And one of the things that she said in her interview, um, she says, it does matter what you do when you sit in the seat. If not you, then who? And I feel like that's, it's that sort of can-do attitude. It's maybe gone, you know, at this point is pushed past a little bit of that struggle and into determination to create those seats at the table. You know, you mentioned Reese Witherspoon and, and, um, her Hello Sunshine production company, um, creating roles for, for women. And, um, but she's just one of, of the many people who are, creating those seats at the table for the next generation. And uh, and I would add to that, I think sometimes it's hard for, for the world to know about us. And um, what's really the other piece that I think is really important is that all along uh, side the work like the uh, sustainable development work and the, the rural economies work was also the advocating for other women um, and that these relationships that women in the Deep South, particularly African-American women, have with foundations, for example, the women, the people who are funding our work, um, had to change. And the, and the funding mechanisms and the systems have to change. And so more importantly to me, I think the work is also that work that, that the hundreds of um, panels and discussions that we, that we sit on and the counsel that we give to people to help them understand 
how we are making space. We need to make space for ourselves and also how they need to be in the space with us. I want to talk about a space where we, you you everybody has mentioned it, yeah. the idea of a space where women have had dominion mm-hmm. <laughs> traditionally mm-hmm. Uh, and and definitely have not gotten enough credit for in the mm-hmm. past is in the kitchen. I mean, because <laughs> I think yes. this is, an you know, both you and Dr. Montgomery Rice talked about seeing your, your mom in the kitchen or your grandmother in the kitchen, this kind of place of, of where women exercised a lot of power and a lot of dominance, certainly. How about for you, Amanda? You can't, you know, all of these chefs and mixologists you feature, the legendary New Orleans chef, dearly departed recently, Leah Dookie Chase, James Beard award-winning chef Mashama Bailey of Savannah, North Carolina chef Vivian Howard. I mean, Southerners often have these strong connections to food and their personal dishes. How does the story of Southern food fit into your portraits of Southern women? Well, I think it's it's so important. I mean, so many of of all of our memories are tied to food in some way. Um, you know, we just uh, had Thanksgiving, and I know at my house I'm responsible for making my grandmother's macaroni and cheese casserole and cornbread mm-hmm. dressing. And when I'm making those recipes, when I'm looking at her handwritten recipes, she's she's um, she's dead now, but uh, it's almost like communing with. Um, a piece of history. It's almost like praying in a way um, to to see her handwriting there and to be able to follow her directions. Um, and so and so being able to get that um, those food memories and and the power of food into this was really important. And you mentioned Leah Chase. Um, I think that you know this was one of the last in-depth interviews that she did before she passed away and um, it was with her friend and culinary historian Jessica B. Harris and you know they just talked for the longest time and Leah um, used her now iconic restaurant Dookie Chases in New Orleans to empower other people. I mean, during the segregated civil rights era, era Dookie Chases was one of the few public places in New Orleans where activists um, such as the Freedom Riders and Martin Luther King Jr. could meet with people of other races. And and she opened up her kitchen, um, you know, even though it was sort of dangerous to do so, to create a space a welcoming space for for everyone that really, again, empowered people to make change ultimately. And I think that's the power of, of food and um, and women in the kitchen too. I just um, think it's important that we understand people's stories and um, connected in so many ways, similarly with the women on the journey. Unika Rogers-Sipp, she's a Georgia-based designer and activist featured in a new book from Garden and Gun. It's called Southern Women, More Than 100 Stories of Innovators, Artists, and Icons. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. And Amanda Heckert, what a job. Uh, She is the editor of the book. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank Thank you, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Thank you again, Unika, for for being a part of it. Oh, thank you. And you can find more in the book. I probably didn't mention how beautiful it is. The photographs are absolutely gorgeous. So you can find a link to see some of them at gpbnews.org. And we will leave you with another fabulous Southern woman. This is Dolly Parton with 9 to 5. Working 9 to 5.